What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Star Wars Beneath Twin Suns, episode 88, a massive breakdown podcast. We are coming to you today on a fantastic Sunday morning. Finally, a few weeks late, going to be discussing the finale, uh, the season finale, I should say, of the Ahsoka miniseries. Hopefully not the ultimate finale, and that is something we will discuss later. Uh, very excited to talk about this. Hopefully everyone has had time to get caught up. Everyone has seen everything. Uh, obviously, spoilers will abound for the entire Ahsoka series in this discussion. So if you have not watched it, uh, at this point in time, I don't know what is taking you so long, but you need to get to do that before we uh, before you jump into this discussion with us. As always, let's get the introductions out of the way. I'm your host, Mercules, joined today by Kit Kutcha. And how are you doing today, Kit? Uh, I am doing pretty well, thanks. I am uh, I am excited to finally be talking about the finale to Ahsoka. And um, I, you know, there... I feel like this episode has drawn a lot of controversy, and I think it's more to do with um, people's opinions of the show as a whole than necessarily just this episode, but certainly <laughs> looking at reviews, it's it's borne the brunt um, of some criticism. So we'll talk about that. And uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do it. How about you? Same. I've been ready for, you know, I've been ready for a week, but last week I was kind of recovering from an illness. I'm still not entirely recovered uh, because hilariously, like I got sick, then my wife got sick. And she started to recover, and then I, like, kind of got sick again from her sickness. Uh, so we've been, like, battling back and forth in the house. Um, but I am feeling a little bit better today. Got myself a coffee, had a breakfast bagel. Um, we have a, a lot to talk about in this episode. I, I have spent a lot of time the past week kind of reading the uh, the criticisms of the show as a whole. And, uh, and this episode in particular to kind of glean what it is that people are upset about and and i have come to the conclusion that uh there is there are some legitimate criticisms of the show but a lot of those criticisms come from a place of expectations that weren't met and on the other hand like my expectations were seemingly something very different from what most critics and most viewers expectations were and i feel like my expectations were met perfectly which is probably why I, I find this finale to be so excellent. Um, like I, I watched the finale. I immediately watched it again, like just restarted it immediately. Watched it again, watch it a third time. Uh, I was on a train in the UK at the time. So I had a lot of time. I was just sitting there literally watch it three times back to back was like incredible borderline. Perfect. No notes, right? Get on Reddit. People are like, the story wasn't told. Like it wasn't concluded, blah, 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 blah. Coach and I talked about this beforehand. I realized that we were looking at two completely different stories. Like I was looking at one story that was told from start to finish. A lot of other people were looking at something else as the main story, which was not told from start to finish. Their expectation was that it would be that being the Thrawn story. My expectation, my hope, I did not want them to conclude the Thrawn story. I thought that would have been massively anticlimactic to introduce Thrawn and beat him in the same season. I thought that we were all on the same page, that it was a given that Thrawn was going to escape at the end of this season. I now realize, having read a bunch of stuff, that was not an understanding that a lot of people had. My greatest fear going into the final episode was they were going to beat Thrawn and like wrap up the Thrawn storyline. And I was like, I would have been like, that would have been so disappointing. That would have been like beating Thanos in the post credit scene of the Avengers, the first Avengers movie, right? Like, that's not what you do with Thrawn. So that was my fear is that they were going to what I thought was going to be bungle it and just beat Thrawn in the finale. And I was really hoping they didn't and they didn't. And so I was super pleased now come to find out a bunch of people on Reddit thought that was exactly what was going to happen. And they were disappointed 
that the heroes, you know, in air quotes, lost this one. Right. I mean, have you seen stuff like that? And a lot of things were like, oh, the Thrawn storyline wasn't concluded. We we end the series and Thrawn has just escaped and stuff like that. Like, I, I felt like that was a common thread in a lot of the criticisms that I saw. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I saw a lot more people just sort of like lambasting everything with negativity. Just pure, just pure bile. And I was just like, boy, you, uh, really need to get some hobbies if you're feeling this, this upset by a TV. I've never felt that upset by a TV show. I can't um, imagine picking this to be the TV show that right. you're so upset about. Right. Like, out of all the things you could be upset about in Star Wars, I feel like picking Ahsoka to be, like, violently angry over is uh, is, a, is an odd choice to me. Yeah. And Considering how clearly in love with Star Wars this series is, like, it feels like a weird choice to me to, like, put your flag in the ground and shit on Ahsoka when we have had, like, we have had a lot of other media that arguably has, like, not understood Star Wars. Uh, but like this show, if it did one thing correct, was that like it very much understood Star Wars. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. You know, like. I've definitely. Complained and criticized about some things in Star Wars, but like mostly only because I'm doing a podcast and we have to talk about it. Like mm -hmm. I can't imagine. <laughs> if I really didn't enjoy something and I, I hadn't already dedicated myself to doing a podcast talking about it, that I would go out of my way just be like i hated everything about this i hate all of these people as individuals who were involved in this and everything was stupid like it's just like how do you get through typing that and not just be like boy this is this is too much i'm gonna delete this and go like touch grass uh anyways it's like we've we've <laughs> talked about this because people have asked us like why haven't we done star wars visions on here and like my thing was like because in all honesty it wasn't really for me like I didn't particularly enjoy it, so I I don't really want to spend the time talking about it because I wasn't super positive on it. But you know what I haven't done? I haven't gone and rated it badly on IMDb. I haven't gone and complained about it on Reddit because right. I know that some people enjoy it and people worked really hard on it, and it's just not my cup of tea and it's not my thing. So instead of spending a bunch of time harping negativity on it. I just, it's just not for me, right? Like that's, you know, there are lots of parts of Star Wars that aren't necessarily for me. Like you think I watched the like, uh, what's that little kid show that they have now that's going on? Oh, there's right? like, like Young got, Jedi Adventures. Yeah, like, dude, every once in a while stuff's just not for you, man. And so like, I don't go on IMDb and rate Young Jedi Adventures badly because it's too childish, right? <laughs> I just, I just don't, don't participate in it. And then that's fine. Plot's too shallow, plot armor too thick. Why aren't these yeah, characters dying? None of the kids die. I feel like there's no real stakes. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. That said, you know, I think there are some, I think there are a few like legitimate criticisms of this episode. And I think it's unfortunate. They're just so, they're so deeply buried in like ridiculous over exaggeration that uh, it's, it becomes difficult to even acknowledge them. Just just so looking I, through the am, reviews, but I am curious what legitimate criticisms just, just so that we know, like we have a framework of what we're going to address. Like what what do you find that are actual legitimate criticisms of the episode? Um, so I will. I think there were there were kind of three things 
that stood out to me um, during the episode. Uh, one was that I felt like the Empire side was written not effective enough. And I say this even following up on our previous Night Trooper discussion. I felt like Thrawn could have been written to be more effective and the story would have still worked and largely played out the same. Um, I feel like his, you know, TIE fighters could have had better aim. Um, you know, little, little things like that. I feel like we could have had some more, more effective um, Imperial troops to add a little more uh, tension. I feel like the plot armor was a little bit too strong, like somebody should have gotten injured. It, it, with everything that they went through, I think there should have been some kind of, like, cost to it. For I mean, I, I felt like for the heroes, it was a little too, too much of a, a, a free ride. Um, and... Mostly those two. I feel like there was a third thing. It might come back to me. Those were kind of the two biggest things that I, that I felt like were misses in this episode that would have would have elevated the tension and the stakes and the outcome. It was essentially just a <sighs> making things harder for the heroes. Really, is, is what I felt like didn't like didn't happen. That could have happened, and and things still could have played out the same. You know, um, that's it. That, that's I, I I think there was a third thing that kind of bugged me, and I've, apparently I've forgotten it, so it can't have been that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my <clears throat> I didn't have an issue with Thrawn's effectiveness because I thought. I thought Thrawn's overall strategy was sound and it worked. Uh, I did have an issue as I did last episode with the effectiveness of the various uh, troops. Um, but part of that, I think will actually be explained by uh, like the, the worst defender for me was the TIE fighters like by far. And we'll talk about that. However, I believe that that, engagement was originally intended to have something else and this is just the gut feeling and it didn't happen for one reason or another i imagine budgetary and it would have made a lot more sense if it had um the the characters the main characters not having it tougher uh i also agree with however this was an interesting use of thrawn's ability to borderline break the fourth wall and we'll talk about this when we get to it. And I, I've discussed this a lot in Discord of how it, of how exactly it's happening. But I do agree that something should have happened. You know, Sabine maybe should have been injured or Ahsoka injured or, or something along those lines. Because you're correct that, like, despite facing near overwhelming odds, uh, there's there's very little real threat to them at any point in time. Um, uh, I, the other thing that that actually I, it, it occurred to me and this is it, Sort of along the same lines of, I felt like some things were toned down, probably for budgetary reasons in this case. Um, but lightsabers, like the the night troopers, not being sort of chopped up as mm -hmm. they fought, 
and it I assume that there was just like we've only got so much special effects budget. We can't be sending well, also that's a rating thing. That's so true. for Disney Plus, you in order to keep it with the like family friendly rating, you can only have super limited dismemberment. Mm. Right? In in like a live action thing. So you can do a lot more in cartoons. Right. Um, especially if you don't show blood and stuff which is how star wars has always kind of gotten away with it is like oh the lightsaber cauterizes its own wound right but there's like super limited dismemberment that you can show of humanoid beings right which is part of the reason why filoni went with robots as the bad guys in in the prequels right well it was convenient so, yeah it was very convenient that robots were the bad guys for the clone wars series because they could yeah. do whatever they wanted to them exactly uh, and yeah. also why the Geonosians, which get chopped up a bunch, are like insectoid, mm. right? So for stuff that is, and this is like old, you know, leftover MPAA, whatever it is, like all of that stuff. Yeah. So that is something that although I personally was frustrated, I understand why it has to happen because it's like they're showing this on Disney Plus. Kids can watch it. They're not going to go heavy into the like. Yeah, it turns out lightsabers can pretty much cut through anything, and the best way to stop zombies is to cut them apart. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did get that, and it was frustrating, but that's, again, that's just something being hamstrung because of the medium that it's that it's displayed on. Like, we're never going to get the uh, true violence inherent in the system that is Jedi <laughs> with lightsabers <laughs> as long as uh, Disney Plus wants to keep these shows, you know, something you can watch with. Uh, the whole family. Yeah. Um, I, I had a criticism of it. Not enough to. Not enough to diminish my enjoyment of the episode. Um, My criticism is purely that we don't know when and how the story is going to get concluded. And I think that in the future, when the story has been concluded, People are going to look back on this episode with a much um, with a much fonder perspective than they currently do right now, because right now it's hard to look at this episode and how many storylines it left open mm -hmm. without feeling a little bit disappointed. But my greatest fear and my greatest expectation coming into this episode was they were going to rush and try to finish all the storylines. And I did not believe that in the running time that they had, they were going to be able to do that in a satisfactory way. Like my actual greatest fear coming into this was that they were going to foil Thrawn. They were going to beat Thrawn. They were going to wrap up the Balin storyline, right? That they were going to wrap up all, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, there is no possible way they can do that in a satisfactory manner with the runtime that this show has. So that was my fear. They didn't do it. My criticism is that we don't know if we're going to get an Ahsoka season two. We don't know when Filoni's movie is going to come out, right? So we're left hanging with a bunch of these threads. Right. And it feels to me very similar to the way Clone Wars ended the first time, right? With When it ended with season five, where Ahsoka has just been acquitted, but she walks away from Anakin and she walks away from the Jedi Order. And then, bam, the series just ends, right? And at the time, there was a massive amount of criticism directed mostly at Disney, for ending the series on that note. Even though Filoni already had the story and the plans for what happened in the future, and we ended up getting that via you know books and shorts and comics and everything else, 
there was no, at the time, viewers felt disappointed. However, now that those stories have been wrapped up, you can go back and watch season five. And that arc is one of the greatest arcs we've ever gotten in Star Wars. But the only reason you can look at it from that perspective is because the cliffhangers that it left us with were resolved, right? If those cliffhangers had never been resolved, I feel like it's a lot harder to look back on that with as much of a positive perspective. And I think that that's what's going to happen with this finale as well. At least from my perspective. Yeah, it, it certainly left a lot of open-ended um, threads that we can only hope get followed. Um, because and we it, know they will at some point, right? I, I believe Mandalorian season four is definitely happening. But as far as I know, they have not officially greenlit an Ahsoka season two, have they? I, I have not heard any, any official words. No, I've, I've heard some unofficial rumors that it's being discussed. Um, and, you know, obviously we've got the, the film that they talked about. And, you know, my fear, of course, is things can always change, right? Um, things can get canceled. Uh, you know, we can lose uh, vital actors. Um, and, uh, you know, it can, it can really throw a wrench into things when, when stuff, unexpected uh, stuff goes wrong. So can't, can't help but feel a little anxious for the future. I have to agree. Actually, more so now that you've reminded me of it. <laughs> yeah. So like that, that was my big criticism of this. And it's, it's not a criticism that I think was possible to solve in the show. Right. It's a, it's a criticism that I would like Disney to come out and address and kind of assuage some fears of like, Hey, don't worry. Like this is not the end of these stories. Like we are going to tell these stories. We're going to tell it in this medium. I mean, they have said that Filoni is going to get a movie, but my, my concern with that is like, I don't think a movie can satisfactory satisfactorily solve all of the threads that they've left either. Right. Like, I really do think that and all honestly, we probably need two more seasons, one season of the Mandalorian, one season of Ahsoka, and then maybe a movie can can put a bow on it. Right. But I don't think two and a half hours, I don't think is enough to stall, solve the stories that they've got here without us ending up in a Rise of Skywalker situation where it feels like you're moving it. You know, you're 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 jumping through hyperspace to get to every single story point, which is like one of my biggest fears about what could potentially happen is that they try to rush a conclusion through and it ends up not being, you know, not being as good as it could have. But yeah. Well, we, specifically episode eight. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. Right. We can we can hope that, you know, Mandalorian season four maybe, you know, is affected by Thrawn's return. We can hope that this stuff kind of plays out. Um, but for now, we have to wait. So, yeah, let's let's get back to the, the focus. We, we remiss not to start with the title, which is uh, the Jedi, the witch and the warlord warlord. An obvious, uh, an obvious reference to the C.S. Lewis novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, and that is uh, doubly important because Dave Filoni has previously, in interviews, said that the Chronicles of Narnia was itself a huge inspiration for the world between worlds. Right? Mm. So I love that. We've, we've talked before about the fact that if an episode has a good title, it usually is going to be a good episode. I think this is uh, another, another thing that proves that rule to be the case. Um, we kind of start uh, with a little bit of a downturn in terms of drama. Uh, the Ahsoka's T6 ship is just kind of hovering over the Nodi. Uh, I don't even know what the not not shells, but the Nodi 
<laughs> little crawlers that they've got. Uh, and we are informed, well, we are informed, Admiral Thrawn is informed, and we the viewers are also informed, that not only is the cargo transfer complete, but Enoch believes that they have a fix on Ahsoka Tano's location. Um, this is something that I saw criticism of a lot, which is Thrawn says, all right, bring the Eye of Scion out of high orbit so we can begin the interlocking procedures. And a lot of people on Reddit were like, why didn't he go up there to meet it in high orbit? Because then there's no possible way that Ahsoka and them could have gotten him. Um, this is one of those things where it's like, I have a solution to this that is never explicitly stated, but we see that Thrawn's Chimera Star Destroyer has multiple engines out, multiple engines non-functional. And the in-atmosphere uh, in engines that Star Destroyers use to float are not the same engines as the engines that they use to leave uh, and and move upwards into orbit, right? So my headcanon is that he doesn't have the capability to move that ship into orbit because of the damage that it has sustained, right? That's the way I look at it. That that solution works perfectly to me. I saw a bunch of criticism that like Thrawn could have just moved into high orbit and none of this would have happened. I believe, and I think that it's shown when we see the engines out multiple times, he didn't have the capability to do that. That's why he had to bring the IF sign down. Yeah, you know, and that that was sort of a point of contention, I think, in the episode of, of you know, why why did they do the docking on the planet versus um, up in in high orbit? Um, you know, I think that's I think that's kind of an area where it was sort of written to to work that way, right? And we can criticize the writing all we want to, but things work in star wars the way the writers say they do and that's always been true so. well and also i mean they they made a point of showing us that the engines were non-functional multiple times in right. the lead up to this right like they explicitly showed us the rear view of the star destroyer multiple times showing the engines unlit yeah right so you know i i feel like even if they didn't explicitly say it like they could have right like morgan elsbeth could have done what she's always done which has been like oh why don't we just move up in orbit and thrawn could have been like we don't have the capability of doing that. Yeah, we don't like, have We can't fuel. maneuver in orbit well enough to, or yeah, we don't have the fuel or something like that. Right. We but can't. like, I, I didn't feel like it was necessary, but man, people like to uh, like to pick things apart, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that truly was like the most nitpicky of things to criticize and also like to be nitpicky about that, but then to not have noticed that the engines were off. Well, that was my whole Twitter thread that I made on this was like, we are currently in an era where if stuff is not explicitly spelled out, people miss it. And The Last Jedi both fell victim to this and also like kind of deservedly so got criticized for it. But like The Last Jedi, you had to read a lot in between the lines for some of that stuff to make sense. And there and, were a uh, lot of lines to read between. Yeah, and there were a lot of lines to read between. It was, it was uh, overly verbose. And... I think we should have learned the lesson by now that for the love of God, just fucking spell it out, man. Like just, just do it. If you think you don't have to, you do just spell it out. Cause if you don't, people are going to pick this stuff apart. There is like this, I think cinema sins. I was looking for this last week and that's, this is actually what came to my head. I think cinema sins is the reason why this happens a bunch. Cinema sins goes through and they're like 25 things wrong with this scene. And they pick out every single little detail, even though like very clearly in fictional stuff, like they're not trying to cover all those bases. Right. And now I think people have like 
cotton on to that and they really enjoy doing it of like, look how smart I am. I can find all the flaws in this story, right? And so that's why when we talked about last week, like if I've got one explanation that works, I'm good with that one explanation. Like if I really put my mind to it, no shit, I can find a bunch of flaws with a fictional story, right? Like that's just how it works. But that's what I feel like people are doing with this. Like, oh, Thrawn could have just done this. And it was like, well, yeah, man. But like, it just, it just, it is, it's unnecessary. Like, yes, Thrawn, oh, Thrawn could have just placed a sniper on top of the fortress and shot them when they walked through the door. It's like, okay, yeah. Like you could always make up something that didn't happen that they could have done and it would have worked. But that's just as much fiction as like the actual story itself, right? I, I just, I got to channel the, the big Lebowski here, right? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Right. <laughs> I did I did appreciate uh, that Elspeth does her thing and she's like, oh, well, you know, there's very little the Jedi can do to stop us now. Like, they only have one ship. They're clearly slowed down. They've been distracted. The cargo transfer is complete. We can begin the docking procedures. Like, we can get out of here pretty much soon. Um, and he's like, I have seen many Imperial officers make that same mistake with the rebellion. In fact, I fell victim to the heroics of a single Jedi when I thought there was no way to lose. And I will never let that happen again. Yeah. And I thought that was an important distinction to make. And this is, this is the conversation I had in discord, but like Thrawn is bordering on breaking the fourth wall and, and how he views the Jedi because he knows like we know. That there is no real risk. Ahsoka is not going to die. Sabine's not going to die. Ezra's not going to die. We know that coming in because those characters are too important. We know they're not going to die. So it is very hard to put them in stakes where you feel the tension of something bad actually happening to them because we know it's not going to happen. He himself also knows that Jedi are basically invincible. And if they want something to happen and the story wills it to happen, it's they're going to succeed, right? Thrawn knows that no matter how much he throws at the Jedi, they're basically going to succeed in what they're trying to do, right? So his intention is, and he said this earlier, like, I don't want to throw multiple platoons at them. He's, he's mentioned, I think, three or four times he doesn't want to waste resources. So his intention is that he knows that whatever troops he leaves behind, they're going to lose, right? Yeah. He knows that however many TIE fighters he sends out, the TIE fighters are going to get blown up, right? They're going to lose. So what he's doing is he's sending out just enough of every, uh, you know, type of troop. He's sending out just enough TIE fighters, just enough troops to slow them down just enough because it is inevitable that they will beat them, right? So if he sends out 40 troops, he's going to lose 40 troops. If he sends out 20 troops, he's going to lose 20 troops. So he's like, what is the exact number of things I need to send to slow them down enough to prevent them from getting here in time? And so he sends out just two TIE fighters, even though he's got more than that. He sends out just 20 troops, even though he's got more than that. His entire strategy this entire time is I know that they are functionally, I am not going to be able to kill these Jedi. I'm going to lose everything that I send to these Jedi if I allow them to, you know, if I allow them to fight 40 troopers, they're going to kill 40 troopers. So he's like, what is the exact smallest number of stuff that I can send to slow them down enough that we can escape, right? His strategy works. Flawlessly, the only times he expresses any frustration, I think, of something not working the way he wants are when he orders the orbital bombardment and Ahsoka, obviously, force wielder, right, is able to evade it. 
Sabine and Ezra, on the other hand, able to evade it. I think this is actually the first time we see Sabine use the Force, and we'll talk about this later, even though it doesn't explicitly say it. I thought, from his perspective, he shows some frustration there, because he's, like, annoyed, because he's like, this is so frustrating that we do this stuff that should have killed anyone, and it does nothing to them, right? That's, I think, where a criticism that you had is very valid, that, like, something could have happened. Like, right. their howler could have been blown up, Sabine and Ezra could have been thrown off, and they have to run the last little bit, and they're injured or something like that, right? Like, there, there's some tension that could have been built there that doesn't involve the characters dying. Yeah. This and this, you're right. This is that is you know, we're jumping way ahead here, I think. But uh, yeah, that we'll, is, we'll we'll come back to the story. But yeah, that is kind of the first point where I'm just like, okay, well, it's it's not really the first point. It's the first point where something I think could have happened to the characters to to sort of start building some tension around, like, boy, are they too injured to finish this? Um, yeah, that's you know. At the same time, it fits within what we've seen in past media of what happens with, you know, protagonist Jedi, right? They just sort of walk through problems, you know, up until they actually face off against a big bad with plot armor comparable to theirs, right? Like we don't see, we see, you know, in, in the prequel movies, for example, and some people will like roll their eyes at me using this as an example, but grow up. Um... You know, we see Anakin and Obi-Wan go through all sorts of danger, almost entirely unscathed, right up until they face off against Dooku. Right? And so it's like that, that's sort of how it works. Like, you've got to have somebody with similar plot armor involved directly in order to actually do anything. Um, and that's just, you know, sort of a bit of genre awareness, like, right? Like, we're we're not in... A hyper realistic war movie here. We're in a Star Wars movie. Right. And this if isn't somebody gets Ryan, this isn't Band of Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if that's Andor. Andor is like those things. Exactly. Exactly. You know, in, in this in this Star Wars tradition, if somebody gets injured, it's probably going to be related to some sort of deeply emotional turning point or revelation in the story. Right? Like when does when does Luke lose a hand? spoilers when he learns that darth vader is his father right mm -hmm. like that's when injury happens like when when true injury happens that when it's emotionally so, and physical the way the way i've always looked at this and i think that this, this would be a great uh video game mechanic right so in in normal first person shooters or third person games you have like a health bar right yeah and as you take damage your health bar decreases and then it you know recharges when you stay out of combat or you get a health pack or whatever it is right the way I've always looked at the force is instead of a health bar, they have like a force bar <laughs> and there's a bunch of near misses that happen and the near misses reduce the force bar, right? Like instead of them directly taking damage, because like you got to think in like video games, your character takes way more damage than a character could actually take and survive. You know, oh, yeah. they get directly hit by bullets and they lose a fifth of their health bar. So for Jedi, what happens is the bullet goes close to them, but misses them and they lose some of their force bar, Right. And unless you can drain their entire force bar, you can't ever actually damage or injure a Jedi, right? Like that's that's pretty much the way I look at it. You know, I felt like the orbital bombardment probably should have drained one of their force bars. You know, while I was watching it the first time, my criticism was, okay, it makes sense that Ahsoka can dodge all this. It makes less sense that Sabine can dodge all of it. 
Then, of course, later in the episode, it kind of explains, you know, maybe the, maybe it does make sense that Sabine could dodge it, even though we as viewers and even she doesn't know how it's happening at the time. Maybe it makes sense. However, that being said, you're right. We should we should go back. We should continue chronologically. Yeah, let's, uh, let's jump back. So because there is there is a beautiful shot at the beginning here that every time I watch the opening of this episode, I'm just like, man, that's a good shot. Um, Where, you know, Thrawn is is. <clears throat> Uh, you know, kind of standing there and they've just given Elsbeth the gift of shadows and, and the blade of Talison, which we need to talk about. And, um, and the, the two TIE fighters sort of soar overhead and it's just like, oh my goodness, this is like a promotional poster, right? but it's, it's in live action. Um, you know, the scene I'm talking about, I, I don't know. I'm yeah, it's the, the klaxon is sounding in the background and mm -hmm. like the TIE fighters launch and fly on either side of them. Yeah, it's fantastic. So the blade of Talzin, we should we should talk about this. So Morgan Elsbeth uh basically, you know, volunteers herself to be empowered uh by the great mothers. And uh she has to pledge herself to the sisterhood and the old ways and abandon her old life as Morgan Elsbeth, basically. And uh I actually very much like the scene. Yeah, she summons the blade of Talzin for her, which the blade of Talzin is the night sister uh sword that we've seen, I believe, in is it season six of the Clone Wars, where Mother Talzin summons it to duel uh Mace windu um and it is it is a night sister blade that can stand against lightsabers right so it's like their version of beskar or something like that basically um right because she obviously lost her uh was it her beskar staff that she had uh that 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 was taken from her mm -hmm. by ahsoka and and given to dinjarin uh, she's obviously lost that so now she needs something else in order for her to fight against it so Fortunately, the Night Sisters have such a device, and they're able to just summon it from yeah, the ether. No, that, so that was I, there were a lot of people I saw online complaining about all the callbacks and references, and to those people, I can only say, "Go away." Uh, well, this I one is so meaningless, the right? And like references; these are for me. If they're yeah. not for you, then you may be watching the wrong show, right? You may legitimately just not be in the right place. Also, it's like, if you didn't know that the Blade of Talzin was a thing, what do you even care about? Like, functionally, they just summoned a sword from the ether. What do you care if it's a callback to Clone Wars? They're just summoning a sword from the ether. Who cares? I, I mean, I saw a few people complaining like, oh, now Star Wars has like objects being summoned magically from out of from from nowhere. Like, you know, suddenly we're breaking all the rules of the force and I, I'm just kind of so it's easy either they're complaining about the callbacks or they legitimately have no idea what the reference is and either way they're upset that a science fantasy show is adding something new um in terms of like these the actual the fantasy side of it right the the magic side of it the force has always been magical in nature mm. you know jedi heal from injuries at a rate that is truly ridiculous and nobody talks about it well, yeah. I mean, I feel like if you haven't watched the cartoons, there's a lot of stuff in this that we had never seen in live action before, and it can be jarring, and it can feel yeah. like, oh, they're they're breaking the established rules, and it's like, well, you should Actually, watch Clone Wars because uh, you want to talk about breaking ago. rules, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't know about that, right? Like force punching droids and stuff like that, which again is from the Tartovsky uh, Clone Wars miniseries. But like there's a bunch of stuff that, you know, it's it's even like force healing, right? Like people were real upset about force healing when Ray used it in the sequels. And it was like, OK, well, let's talk about force speed that they used once in the prequels and then never used ever again. Right. Like, yeah, 
The Force has a lot of different things that have been explored in a lot of different media. And if the only thing you've ever watched are movies, you're going to see some stuff that's like, oh, that seems like bullshit, right? But it's like, it's there's a basis for it. Like, there absolutely is a basis for it. The, the Force healing thing always cracked me up because I was just like, how do you think these Jedi are recovering so quickly mm -hmm. from, like, devastating injuries well, on a regular you, basis? Have you read the uh, the Legends novels that are based on the clone commandos, like those novels? I, I haven't, but um, in, in some of the current canon uh, novelizations, there are... They explicitly explain that force healing is a rare gift that some Jedi have. Yeah. And in the Legends Clone Commandos novels, there is a Jedi who leaves the Jedi Order who has force healing. And he uses it to, I mean, to heal, basically. Right? And it's right. like, oh, man. And this came out way before the sequels did. Right? So, you know, and at the at the time, obviously, before Legends became a thing, like, those novels were... They weren't canon to George Lucas, but they were canon as far as the story went. Well, the, the, the prequels even directly, like explicitly say the force can be used to control biological processes, right? Like that's the whole point of how Palpatine corrupts Anakin is that you can use the force to keep people alive, to make death impossible. Like this is this is a power that the force has. Which he explicitly says it. Actually, a fun circular bit of logic here. When we uh, run into the zombie troopers later on, uh, that mm -hmm. is a direct reference to a Legends book, which we have talked about on the show before, right? And the uh, the origin of the virus in that book was a Sith attempt at immortality, uh, which mm. did in fact make them immortal. But like, just because you can live doesn't mean your body doesn't decay, basically. So. Right. Uh, anyways, so we swap back after that very good scene that you talked about where Thrawn's standing there and the and the the siren sound and the ties leave. Beautiful, beautiful shot. Absolutely loved it. We uh we go back to the Jedi shuttle. Ezra Bridger is trying to build himself a new lightsaber. Uh, he was very confident prior to the battle that maybe he didn't need a lightsaber, but I think now he's like, ah, I probably need a lightsaber. Like it's probably pretty helpful to have one of these. So he's trying to build himself a new one. He is massively frustrating Hu Yang as he's like tearing apart Hu Yang's workshop. And Hu Yang is like, who even taught you how to build a lightsaber? And uh, I think Sabine says, well, Kanan Jarrus taught him. And Hu Yang's entire tone changed because he's like, oh, Kanan Jarrus. So you mean Caleb Doom? Like, I taught Caleb how to build a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. And then Ezra's tone changes because he's like, oh, you might actually have, you know, like you might actually have some something I can, you know, that can be useful to me here. Yeah, it was it was definitely th this was a nice bit of levity, you know, um, Hu Yang talking about how he has a uh, he has a there's a method to his organization, just kind of the back and forth uh, between him and Ezra is very entertaining. Um, but yeah, so uh, so turns out Hu Yang hung on to a uh, a matching. A blade emitter uh, to the one that Kanan had used and still has it right here in the workshop and offers it to Ezra. Did you like the reference to Rebels where Ezra says, no, I can't use this original blade emitter. The It's too narrow. And one of the criticisms of Rebels was that the lightsaber blades were too narrow because they were... So a lot of Rebels art style was direct reference to Ralph McCor's original uh, concept art. 
right? Mm. And actually, Zeb was originally concept art for Chewbacca uh, before he became, right. you know, Gareth Zebarelios. But uh, one of the big criticisms of the Rebels got at the time was the art style was weird and the, the lightsaber blades were too thin. And so I thought that it was pretty funny that there was a tug in cheek like, oh, I can't <laughs> use this. The blade emitter is too narrow. I, I honestly didn't catch that, but that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I did enjoy, you know, Ezra's like, how old are you to Hu Yang? Um, I, I wish I wish we could get a, a blue box reference. Yeah. Into the show. But anyways, um, so, you know, uh, we move on here. Uh, Ezra finishes his lightsaber. Um, and I think he's about to ask Sabine if Ahsoka had taught her how to make a lightsaber, but she has disappeared. Um, I think uh, some of the commentary um, between Hu Yang and Ezra maybe hit a little too close to home and she sort of regretted being there. Yeah. And I appreciated the uh, the exposition we got here at the end of the scene, which is, Ezra asking the question that we all wanted to know, which is what happened between them? Like, why are they like this? And Hu Yang explains that after the great purge of Mandalore, uh, which occurred at the end of the you know, Galactic Civil War, um, Sabine's family was killed by the Empire and that Ahsoka feared that Sabine was basically training for revenge as opposed to training to, you know, for the right reasons. And that uh, Ahsoka saw great potential in Sabine and worried that if she unlocked it, she would become dangerous. And so this is, this is very important, right? Which I'm really excited to talk about the next scene, but uh, Ahsoka does not stand by Sabine in this, right? She, she shows her fear uh, which we talked about this in episode five. We talked about this a little last time, but like Sabine has been scared, right? Sabine was scared of what Anakin became of what she might become. And now for a third time, she's shown fear. She's scared of what Sabine might become, right? She's worried about the legacy that her master left onto her and that she might leave onto her apprentice. So instead of standing by Sabine, she basically abandons her. Right. And you have to think like, from Sabine's perspective, that had to hurt right. an incredible, incredible amount. And also think about like Anakin would have never done that to Ahsoka. Like never under any circumstances, Anakin would never have abandoned Ahsoka. He would have always stood by her. And so this more than anything really made me realize like how far Ahsoka had fallen from the Ahsoka that we knew in clone wars mm -hmm. and it all comes back to twilight of the apprentice rebel season two the finale where she learns that anakin is darth vader right that's where this whole twist of her personality comes in where she would much rather avoid fighting she would much rather be solitary and alone right and people are correct when they criticize that character oh she's wooden she doesn't have any emotions that's all done intentionally because that's who she's trying to be right now because she's scared of what happens if she does have those things, right? And people are correct that that's not Ahsoka. That's not Ahsoka. That's what Anakin teaches her in episode five. Right. 
Like the person you are right now, you're not living. And so this really drove home for me, like how far Ahsoka had fallen prior to episode five when Anakin has the discussion with her. It is immediately followed up by the scene where Sabine steps out of the ship onto the wing and Ahsoka's meditating at the top. And they have a great discussion where, you know, Ahsoka asks Sabine, are you, are you pleased? And Sabine says, well, I'm relieved. And Ahsoka says, your gamble paid off, which Sabine's like, oh, you knew then. Like, you knew that I came with them willingly that I didn't destroy the star map. And she's like, well, you know, at least we were able to find Ezra. And Ahsoka's like, that might not have happened if you had chosen differently, right? She says, Sabine says, I should have destroyed the star map. You know, I, I apologize for not doing it. And Ahsoka's like, nope, I understand why you did what you did. And this, is, this was the scene that drove home for me, the transformation that Ahsoka has undergone during this series. Like, to me, this was the true story the series was telling in this season. Ahsoka says, I made my share of difficult choices over the years, and most people did not understand my reasons. The one person who did was my master, Anakin Skywalker. He always stood by me when no one else did. Season 5 conclusion of Clone Wars, right? He stood by her. Everyone else believed Ahsoka was guilty. And he stood by her. He didn't care that all the evidence said she was guilty. He knew Ahsoka and loved Ahsoka and was like, there is no way that Ahsoka is guilty. She's innocent. I will defend her no matter what, right? right? Ahsoka didn't do that with Sabine. And she says that no matter what happens next, I will be with you. Right. This was the story. This is what is told. Ahsoka starts off as someone who's scared, who refuses to love, who bottles up her emotions, terrified of the past, terrified of the future. Episode five, Anakin shows her that's not the way to live. Right. You can be both things. You are the legacy I left for you. That is a legacy of love. And yes, there is darkness in that legacy, but you are better. You are the student that surpasses the master. Right. And then in episode eight, she understands that, right? That like the way to the way to do this is to be the master that Anakin was for her. We even saw it last episode where she's training with the holograms and she's like, Anakin was a good master, right? To me, this is the next step in Ahsoka's journey and the hero's journey is that she's becoming the master that Anakin was to her, right? And so when I saw this part, I was like, that's beautiful. That's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted for Ahsoka. And I didn't realize how much I wanted that for Ahsoka until it happens. I want to see Ahsoka be the master that Anakin was to her to an apprentice, right? And so I thought we got it. So right here, anything else could have happened. I was fucking over the moon with the episode at this point in time. I can tell. <laughs> No, I mean, this was this was a good this was a, a big part of the character journey. Um, you know, even here, though, I saw people complaining like, oh, Ahsoka didn't hold Sabine accountable for her actions. You know, she didn't punish her. She didn't you know she should have been angry with her justifiably. So and. I'm just. That that sort of criticism bothers me because I'm like. It, have you seen how like other Jedi react when someone disappoints them like. They go out of their way to try to save them no matter what they've done, right? Like Obi-Wan, 
goes to save Anakin. He doesn't go there to fight him and kill him. He actually tries to avoid, like actively tries to convince Anakin to stop what he's doing. Not to say that there won't necessarily be potentially some consequences down the road, but like that's just sort of like that's not the Jedi way, right? That's not what they do. They all attempt to stop someone from actively doing something evil, but they aren't going to sit there and dwell on that and like emotionally hold that against that person. That's <laughs> that's what the Sith do, right? Like that's that's the difference. And maybe, you know, maybe that in some cases is a flaw for the Jedi. I don't know. Maybe they, you know, but that's, again, just like your opinion. Um, it's not what we've seen from the Jedi in any historical media. Um, and at this point, like, I think Ahsoka sort of recognizes that part of the reason that Sabine went down the path she did is that she didn't have a mentor. She didn't have someone guiding her. Ahsoka was gone. This is, in a way, sort of Ahsoka's fault. I'm not a big one to, to sh sort of share blame for decisions like that, right? Like, ultimately, Sabine made the call. Whether it was the right one or the wrong one, I suppose, depends on your point of view. To, uh, again, quote Obi-Wan. Or paraphrase, but... At this point, what's done is done. And... Ahsoka's not going to make things better by, you know, berating Sabine. Like, they're literally, you know, potentially stranded in a different galaxy. And people are upset that she's not, like, yelling at her. It's like, how does that make any sense? Like, that's, that's not what a smart person would do here. Certainly not what a Jedi would do here. And also, it's like, Anakin, time and time again, would make a decision to save one person that the Jedi leadership maybe not would not have made. They'd be like, no, sacrifice that one person for the greater good. Right. And Anakin showed time and time again that he would not do that, that he would not sacrifice one person for the greater good. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Sabine made the same decision. Ahsoka in the past had made that decision Indeed. to refuse to sacrifice one person for the greater good. And she realized that Sabine made the same decision that she would have made were she in the shoes. And that's why she says, you know, it, it might not necessarily have been the wrong decision. You know, even if you had destroyed the star map, here's what's likely. Thrawn would have found a different way to get back, right? And Ezra for sure would have been lost. Because we wouldn't have made it out here. We wouldn't have found Ezra. Thrawn would still have come back eventually. At least this way, yeah, Thrawn may be back now. But the force moves in mysterious ways. We found Ezra. Ezra's going to get back. And it may be that the thing the force wanted to happen was for Thrawn to return now. Maybe that's what has to happen in order for us to win this war. It's Thrawn has to return now. If Thrawn returns later, maybe it doesn't work that way. Because then maybe Ezra's lost and maybe Ezra has something to do with it. So she, she kind of says, you know what? I've made this decision a lot in the past and it always worked out, even though everybody told me not to. So in her fear... She has kind of become what the Jedi Order was to her and Anakin, right? She's right. cut herself off from emotion, right? Like, do, do, do you see that? Where, like, the Ahsoka that we get in the first four episodes of this season that's super wooden, that's very closed off, that's, she's freaking Mace Windu, dude. Right, yeah. She's literally Mace Windu. And no, everybody doesn't like her because that's not who Ahsoka is. We know that's not. Ahsoka is baby Anakin. 
Like that's what she's like. She's like Anakin's younger sister. The Ahsoka we get in the first four episodes is Mace Windu. That's why nobody likes her, right? And then in episode five, Anakin explains to her, that's not who you are. You're making the mistakes the Jedi Order made out of fear. You need to live like me. Yes, I ended up falling to the dark side, but that also came from a place of fear. You can't be afraid of this. If you're afraid, you can't live. Yeah. Don't run from the fight. She realizes, she comes back, she says, you know what, Sabine, you actually made the right call. We found Ezra, we found the person who you love, and yes, something bad might come out of that, but you know what we'll do? We'll face that together. As a family, right? I, I think I shared that quote from John Favreau before we started recording the episode, but what John Favreau uh, said about this was like, look, Star Wars is always some things. It's relatable because it's got to be about people and it's got to be about families, regardless of whether they're biological or not. It's about learning. It's about coming of age. It's about the hero's journey. That's what Star Wars is about. That's exactly what we have happening here, right? And in every single hero's journey ever, the character does something that everybody else tells them not to do because it has the potential to turn out bad, but they do it because... They love someone and they want to keep them safe and they want to protect them or in their heart, they believe it's the right thing to do. Even when everybody else tells them it's not right. And what Ahsoka has said, you're not wrong is that I'm, yeah, I'm going to stand by you. If that's your decision, I'm going to stand by you because that's what my master would have done for me. Right. So from this point on, I was like the story, the story has been told like Ahsoka has come full circle. She's now the Ahsoka that we knew and loved in the clone wars but she's in her master's shoes instead of being the apprentice. I love that. I love that a ton. Um, and then she kind of says to Sabine, you know, Sabine's like, well, she says, have you been training? And she's like, well, I've got better control over my lightsaber. And she's like, you know, I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. Being a Jedi isn't just about wielding a lightsaber, <laughs> you know, train your mind and your body and trust in the force. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we we do at least get a nod, though, that there's been some off-screen training. Sabine hasn't been just sitting around uh, drinking blue milk with the turtle people. Um, All right, well, we need to keep rolling here. <laughs> we have spent a long time uh, getting through the first few scenes. Uh, so moving on here next, we've got a, um, Ezra has his new lightsaber. Um, and what happened a few scenes ago with, uh, with Thrawn giving the orders to send out those TIE fighters, uh, now we, we've had our exposition, we've talked about, you know, where the characters are at emotionally, and it's time to jump back into some action. So that pays off here. We do have the TIE fighters coming in for a strafing run, and this is sort of the first point where I have... A bit of a bone to pick and also some headcanon so that I can just move on and not worry about it too much. Uh, so the bone to pick I have here is they've got essentially a borderline stationary target. They have them by surprise. They've just come up over a ridge and they are making a strafing run. It's hard to imagine that they could have been less successful. Well, the first strafing run is successful. They they, they they land their hits. They kill the stabilizers, right? They do actually land a hit, yeah. Um, the second strafing run, they completely miss a, a now literally stationary ship. 
And it's just like, I feel like they could have hit the ship some more. Because, like, the ship has taken multiple hits in the past. Right? Mm -hmm. It's got shields or whatever. And so we could have just, like, said, oh, it took some hits, it's damaged, but it's not down. Because we know that it can take multiple hits. And then, the, you know, the, the TIE pilots get to look competent. And everything plays out exactly as it would have, or as it did. That said, the headcanon here is, well, they've been maintaining these TIE fighters on an alien planet in an alien galaxy with no resupply for a decade. And I'm just going to ask you, as somebody who knows planes, like what happens if you have no more spare parts and you have to keep something flying for a decade. Yeah, we'll just say their targeting systems weren't entirely functional, right? Yeah. They, they, maybe, they, maybe the guns weren't calibrated correctly, and so they missed. My, <laughs> like, that's, that's yeah. sort of the headcan as I stop. People are like, oh, they just can't aim. This is stupid. I'm like, stop and think about it for a second. Like, why would it be this way? Well, well you know, TIE fighters are not the most accurate ships out there right we, we watch them miss a lot of shots even in even optimal circumstances when the tie fighters are fresh out the death star <laughs> with uh with competent pilots they still miss a bunch of shots so it's very you know, force hard, works in mysterious ways it's very hard to hit a moving object in space right there there's yeah. a bit of a nod to hard science there like in, in hard science like space combat the trick is hitting anything at all right if you can hit your target you probably kill them outright in in actual space combat um it's more a matter of just like well we we don't need to get into delta v because honestly i don't have the math and nobody cares but <sighs> i don't mind so much that that space that fast moving spaceships miss a lot of shots you know that makes sense to me that seems correct but it's just when when they have the literal broadside of a spaceship, it is a little it is a little eye rolly for them to have missed so badly. Um, the only issue that I had with this is that Sabine uh, rams both Tie Fighters, and they just like lift their hands up and cover their face as opposed to turning. This was, however, my, that was my daughter's complaint too. So my thing was, and I think that this was probably originally what they were going to do, and I don't know why they didn't do it, but everything leading up to it, what I thought was going to happen is the ties were going to go around the ship and then she was going to spin the wing and hit them both, right? Mm. Because that would surprise them and that would make sense. I thought 100% that was what was going to happen. Like the ties were going to split. One was going to go low. One was going to go high. She was going to spin the wing and hit them both with the wing and kill them. That would have made total sense because then it wouldn't have been like the TIE fighters were incompetent. There's no way they should have expected that. And it would have been sweet on Sabine's part right. for some reason or another. I feel like that was the original concept. And then they didn't do it either because of, you know, the cost of animating it or for some reason they just didn't do it. Right. I thought for sure that was going to happen in my head canon. Nah, that's just what happened. Like, you know, if you were writing a book, you would just say, oh, and she went towards them and, and rammed the TIE fighters. And that was that. Yeah. So I'm just going to assume that that's kind of what happened because, yeah, it was like, why would they not just turn? Why did they go straight out? They, they literally lift their hands up and cover their faces and scream as opposed to like you had time to lift your hands up and cover your face. You could have literally just turned. 
and and not hit it, right? These TIE fighters are, are so, so old. Like they, they literally sent out the, the two TIE fighters in the worst shape to do this strafing run. Um, so they're not ambi-turners anymore. a fry cook. A fry cook is actually the one flying it. It's not really, a, uh, they don't actually really have pilots anymore. Yeah. So they're just like, all right, who wants to go fly one? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like drawing, you're, you're drawing sticks, right? And you're like, oh, you got the short stick. You get to fly the tie today. Good luck. Hope you don't die. And they did. And they did. Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, it's sort of like, it's not a big deal, right? Ultimately, it's not a big deal. This part, I actually like this scene because it does impose a cost on the heroes, right? They manage to deal with the attack, but at the cost of having a flyable ship. Um, so they can no longer use their ship in the assault that they're planning to make, right? They've been waiting for Ezra to finish his lightsaber. He's done. They can they can finally make their attack, and oh, darn, their ship gets, you know, badly damaged and, and crash lands. I appreciate that, right? Like, that that's good storytelling. You solve one problem, you hit it, you run into another. And uh, so we, we move we move along, you know. Uh, Enoch informs Thrawn that the Ties attack the shuttle before losing contact. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, they've got information essentially that the shuttle has been downed. And, uh, you know, Thrawn, you know, mentions, you know, a, a citation for for Valor or something to that effect. And... Uh, you know, considers this an acceptable outcome, right? He didn't necessarily expect this to go well. He doesn't expect any of these uh, fights with the Jedi to go well. That's why he's not bothering to send more than the bare minimum. <clears throat> um, you know, but as he points out, he, Thrawn does a good job of explaining things to the audience that I feel like they still manage to miss, despite him explicitly saying them out loud. Right. The TIE attack has limited their enemy's ability to attack directly or to leave Peridia. However, because they don't have a ship, we now know where they're going to attack from. Prepare for a ground assault. And he does say, like, you know, too many Imperials would have been like, okay, we've destroyed their ship. They're done. There's nothing they can do. Like, we'll escape. And he's like, nope, I know that's not how Jedi work. Prepare for a ground assault. Like, they're going to be here. Like, this this is not done. They are going to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Hu Yang and the Nodi try to repair the Jedi shuttle as best they can. There's a nice, you know, nice little bit of levity of Hu Yang having to deal with the Nodi, basically. <laughs> uh, but Rin and, and Bridger and Ahsoka Tano, uh, they get two howlers, and they basically ride off. I think... Was it Ezra specifically says like, well, this is going to slow us down. And Ahsoka's like, it's only going to slow us down if we let it slow us down. Like, you've got your lightsaber. We've got everything we need. Let's go there. Um, back at the Chimera, uh, Elsbeth and the Great Mothers are kind of... Uh, the description says they're blessing some night troopers. Um, Thrawn asks if these are the volunteers and if they were all made aware. He doesn't specifically say what he's made aware of. I believe he's saying, have they been made aware that we're going to leave them behind? Like, they're going to die. And she's like, yes, they were all happy to sacrifice themselves for you. And he's like, not for me. 
for the Galactic Empire and the security of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, so, and there, you know, there are some theories out there that, you know, because of the, like, the red fabric and, and the term night troopers that, um, that many of the stormtroopers we see may already, like, have died and essentially been brought back by uh, Night Sister magic. Um, and I don't believe that is the case because Thrawn is concerned as to whether or not they've been informed about the nature of their sacrifice, right? Whether or not that's like that they're going to die and then be brought back as, you know, Night Sister zombies or whether it's simply that they're going to die and be left behind. Um, presumably both, right? But Thrawn has always shown a concern uh, for his troops and that his people understand the stakes. Um, so this is very in character. But I also think it, it sort of says to us, no, like these are, these are still living human beings. These are not, these are not zombies yet. Yeah, I got the feeling that some of them were maybe being like assisted or held together with Night Sister Magic, but that they weren't, they were still alive. Um, and I liked both of these scenes. I like Thrawn saying, I'd like to give a citation to the captain. And also, are they, do, are they aware? Like, he's not, he's not pulling the wool over his troops' eyes. Like, he wants them to know, like, these are the volunteers. Mm -hmm. They volunteered to stay behind. I want them to know, like, I'm not tricking them. Like, this is, this is the honest truth. Like, you are staying behind. You are sacrificing yourselves to ensure that the Galactic Empire continues to live on. Um, so I thought that was great. Now, the, uh, Ahsoka and Ezra and Sabine kind of reach the outskirts of the fortress uh, just as the Chimera begins the docking procedure. Um, <laughs> Ahsoka asks Yang, like, how are the repairs going? And I think he literally says something like, we're doing our best, and then something happens. He's like, don't, don't wait on us. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, so Tano kind of asks Ezra, you know, what is it specifically that we're up against? And Ezra's like, ah, like, I'll be honest. I don't really know. Like... Thrawn found this place. He woke up the Great Mothers. He rebuilt his warship. Uh, hasn't really been safe for me to come here by myself. And she's like, well, you know, you're not by yourself anymore. So, so now's the time. Um, and she's like, you know, why don't we just, uh, we'll just try the front door. Yeah. Can't hurt. Can't hurt. Uh, Thrawn kind of orders his forces to, you know, prepare. He says, was it rain hellfire upon them? Like prepare the orbital bombardment. Um, and this was, we talked about this earlier, but this was like the only time that I thought, I thought Thrawn like actually expressed some level of frustration at the inability to kill the, the Jedi or even to, to, to hamper them. This doesn't really slow them down at all. Everything else that he's done has successfully slowed them down. Uh, this bombardment does not slow them down at all. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, again, I saw a lot of people complaining about this and to be honest, I, I would have liked to see one of these explosions slow them down in some way. I think yes. I think everything would have played out the same, but if they had been forced to find another way around or to like recover um, you know, from one of the howlers getting blown up, you know, I, I feel like that would have added some tension to the scene. Absolutely agree. That said, again, it's not hard to simply go back to the exact same headcanon as far as what's happening here we've talked about how this is this star destroyer has been rebuilt we can see that it's it's very much a patchwork 
We know they haven't had resupply in a decade. Doesn't seem like the Great Mothers have a lot of standard Imperial stock parts on hand. You know, we don't know what's in those, I don't want to say coffins, we'll say boxes. But I'm guessing it's probably not parts for a Star Destroyer. Um, it's not turbo laser ammo. Yeah, you know, so like... Have they been able to keep up on their target practice? You know, have they been able to repair targeting systems and and things? No, and, and we also know, of course, that turbo lasers have always struggled to hit very small targets. Right? This is a this is a recurring theme throughout essentially every Star Wars movie. That their whole reason they have TIE fighters is because it's hard for them to track these small, fast-moving targets. I don't think the Howlers are fast moving compared to a starship, so I don't know that that logic holds up super well here. But I think that in, in you know, kind of combination with the fact, again, that they've been stranded here for a decade. I'm not shocked that they're not super accurate, but I do feel like it was a missed opportunity. Well, you know, my explanation is Ahsoka would have dodged all of these. Ahsoka's been in starships dodging starship blasts before. Like, it makes sense that her use of the force provides her with enough foresight right. to dodge the blast. Had Ezra been guiding the second howler, I think Ezra would have been able to dodge all the blasts. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have uh, surprised me. At the time, I thought it was weird that Sabine was guiding the second howler, who we know has only failed when trying to use the force up to this point. So when I was watching it, I was like, man, this is weird that Sabine is guiding the second Howler and she's not getting hit. I would have felt that like Sabine's Howler would have gotten hit because she didn't have the force capability to avoid the things. So that was a little bit of, uh, you know, of a disappointment to me. But she they see the front door closing, the giant gates of the front and Ahsoka and Ezra, you know, reach out their hands to try to stop it. And Ahsoka even says, Sabine, help out. Right. And Sabine throws her hand up. But we don't actually know if Sabine contributes anything to it. Now, having watched the entire episode, I believe that when Ahsoka said, Sabine, I'm going to stand by you no matter what, that removed the mental block from Sabine that she needed to actually be able to tap into the force. The force that Kanan saw in her, the force that Ahsoka saw in her. I believe that removed her mental block. So now in watching back, what I believe is that this was actually Sabine's first use of the force even though she didn't necessarily know it. I would agree with that. Her guiding the Howler through the turbo laser fire and then helping to hold the door open was actually her first use of the force. I think that that's what I think now. So in that case, it makes a little bit more sense, but yeah, like you, it would, the story could have played out exactly the same if a Howler had gotten blown up and they'd had to run the last 50 yards holding their hands out. Right. Like, or, you know, she'd had to, uh, you know, yeah, something something along those lines, right? Maybe she has like a little limp or something like that. It, like it, it would have been it would have been fine. So they do manage to make it through the gates. Uh, the night troopers are deployed. The throng kind of informs the great mothers. He's like, you know, prepare yourself. It's it's nearly time. Uh, the night troopers kind of descend the stairs. They converge on the three Jedi, and uh, obviously twenty night troopers in a confined space versus three Jedi, all of whom have lightsabers. Is not really going to be a fair fight. Even if those were highly trained, it wasn't. It wasn't going to probably end up as a fair fight. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I didn't have any particular issues with how this combat plays out. Um, I think this made perfect sense, right? We've got three protagonist force users with lightsabers against the, like you said, you know, 20, 20 stormtroopers in a confined space. Um, they're all shooting from the same direction, like, more or less that, you know, it's... And, and literally four lightsabers to go against, right? Because Ahsoka is ambidextrous. So... Mm -hmm. Really wasn't going to go well. They do kill all of them. Uh, the Great Mothers continue to chant, and uh, they basically reanimate the fallen night troopers. Now, this is, like, directly a reference to Death Troopers, uh, which is a novel that we've talked about before, which is where a virus reanimates uh, fallen stormtroopers. Basically, the... The story that is told is that Emperor Palpatine is researching this virus that a Sith Lord 4,000 years ago created to basically provide immortality. And he sends a uh, he sends a, a Star Destroyer to fetch it, and then he organizes the release of the virus on the Star Destroyer to kind of see how it affects everything. Well, it turns them into uh, flesh-hungry zombies who basically tear apart the living, and then their bodies decompose at an extremely rapid rate. So it's... Uh, it's it's pretty spooky. It's actually like a, a a horror version. It's great for October reading right now. If you guys are looking for Star Wars horror, uh, both Red Harvest and Death Troopers, I highly recommend uh, those two books. They're quite fun. Um, but this is like a direct reference to that. So the, it brings them back, and they're kind of slow at the beginning. But what's interesting about this magic is that like they're both basically unstoppable when you're shooting them. Uh, shooting them doesn't seem to have any effect on them, but they also seem to regain some semblance of intelligence and tactical ability as they stay alive longer. So at first, they're a little bit shambling, but as we see them live longer, they regain the ability to use tactics. They use tools, right? It, it actually makes them a little bit scarier. Um, and this, I think, supports your idea that they that they were not reanimated previously because Ezra says, this is the first time I've ever seen this. Like, I've, I've never seen something like this happen before. Right. right. Admittedly, he's been keeping his distance, but, you know, yeah, I, I think it... I think it's pretty clear that they have not been doing this on a regular basis, even if they have been using their abilities to, you know, provide medical services, we'll, we'll call it, uh, yeah. to Thrawn's troops. And, uh... The, the Eye of Scion uh, extends its clamps to the Chimera. They're not quite done with the with the connection, though. Uh, Thrawn tells Morgan, you know, the Jedi are advancing pretty quickly. We're going to need a little bit more time. And Morgan says, I understand. Knowing that basically Thrawn is, like, sacrificing her to escape. And Thrawn says, for the Empire. Uh, but Morgan, kind of under her breath, says, you know, for Dathomir. Mm -hmm. And we understand what her motivations are in this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely fighting for the return of the Night Sisters here. Um, something actually occurred to me. I uh, jump back a little bit here. We, we were talking about Sabine, and this is going to become more relevant in the coming scenes about how she. What didn't people complain about, right? On the internet, the the list is the list is shorter. Um, complaining about how she's you know begins using the force sort of you know, without a whole lot of preamble. And I have to say, I've had that same criticism myself. I would have loved to see more training. Every time somebody sort of starts using the Force and we don't get a training montage, I'm a little disappointed. 
Um, but we do get at least some lampshading of it. Um, I, I, for, I almost forgot to mention this line, but when Sabine asks, or excuse me, when Ahsoka asks Sabine if she's kept up with her Jedi training, at first Sabine says, I try, but then she, she corrects herself. She says, I do. Huh. And I feel like they're, they're directly like just telling us like, here's the turning point, right? Before she was trying to use the force, right? You know, we're, we're going back to Yoda's advice, right? Do or do not. There is no try, right? Yeah. Either, either, either do it or don't do it. But you're sitting here like trying or you're not really, you, you don't really believe at that point, right? You have to believe firmly in order for the force to work for you. You know, he, he talks about, hey, there's, there's sort of, I think a bit of an, an overtone there, which plays into when Jedi, struggle or when even sith struggle is when they're conflicted right when they're trying and we see it in the in the sequel trilogy which i'm currently re-watching with my daughter um you know when kylo kylo ren is trying to be evil and it just leaves him you know they call it out in in the movies right it leaves him more divided than ever because he's trying to do something instead of doing it so it, it applies, I think it applies equally across the board. And that's why Sabine failed before. Because she could only try. She she just, she didn't believe. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. So, there's a, uh, there's a really fun scene. Also, I, I, this is another quote, but uh, Ahsoka Tano actually tells Ezra, like, oh, she's been training. Um, because Sabine is able to, you know, kind of help Ezra out. Uh, using her lightsaber and Ezra's like a little bit impressed because if we recall the time Ezra saw Sabine wielding the dark saber she was not doing too hot so she's definitely improved from there uh they kind of they continue to push forward and they encounter Morgan Elsbeth and Ahsoka's like you know you two go ahead I'm gonna deal with Morgan um this is obviously a rematch of uh, a previous battle that we saw and in the previous battle people complained that Morgan was like holding her own against Ahsoka, but she was really only holding her own until Ahsoka decided to start trying. If we recall, Ahsoka was fighting, you know, on an off form with a single lightsaber. Uh, and then she's like, okay, I'll actually try now after she gets disarmed. Um, and she beats Morgan almost instantly. Well, now Morgan's been empowered by the Night Sister magic. She's got the Blade of Talzin and she puts up uh, quite a fight. Mm -hmm. I believe she actually even manages to slice one of Ahsoka's two lightsabers in half. Yep. Yeah, later in the fight, she does. Um, yeah, they, they they essentially fight to a standstill here. Um, it, I always... Whenever we see a fight like this between a, a Force user and a non-Force user, and the, the Force user doesn't immediately just throw the non-Force user into the wall, I'm always a little bit bothered. And I assume that there's a reason why here in terms of like the Night Sister magic offering some sort of protection. But I just wish they would have addressed it. I don't have any headcanon really to like, to, th there's no firm explanation that I can fall back on that exists in the Star Wars universe other than just say Night Sister magic, wave my hands and move on with my life. Um, but I... I always wish that they would address that, that like they would try to use it and it like wouldn't be effective in some way. 
you know, like in. So, uh, you know, I'm playing Fallen Order right now. And it, at a certain point, you're like, you're fighting uh, Night Brothers, you know, Dathomirin uh, men who's, who serve the Night Sisters as warriors. And when you try to force push them, they do like backflips or like handsprings. So like you like push them, but they like redirect the force and, and evade it. And it's not effective. I'm like, give me something here. Give me, give me like an attempt. And she like blocks it with her sword or like, you know, like does a handspring and, and doesn't get thrown. Like that, that's all I'm asking. And it's not just this scene, right? This is not a particular criticism of Ahsoka. This is standard. I just wish <laughs> that we would get some kind of like acknowledgement of it. Every time so, there's a fight like this. My headcanon is that the force push is a very force intensive process. And the stronger someone is, the more strength it takes from you. And so my theory is that it, it, it can possibly be such a strength drain that if you use it and it's ineffective, it leaves you in a worse position. And so it's best saved in reserve mm -hmm. for like very specific things. Um, and I say that because of how rarely we see it done against living beings that I think that in order to like move a living being with the force takes a great amount of concentration and strength. And like we see Ahsoka do it when she's filled with rage and she throws Shin Hadi, who is comparatively much weaker than Morgan Elizabeth, despite Shin, you know, having the ability to use the force, I think Morgan would have killed Shin in a fight. Right. So I think the stronger the being is, uh, the harder it is to force move them. And so therefore it becomes something that's like, I need to keep this in reserve because if I do this and it doesn't work, I'm going to be weaker and therefore they're going to be more likely to, you know, to beat me. Right. It's like you expend yeah. a bunch of energy to do something. That's always kind of been my head cannon because looking at it that way uh, addresses a lot of the encounters where someone doesn't do that when they could have. Right. It's true. Yeah, so I've always kind of just thought like that, like, oh, it's just, you know, it's a huge amount of effort that you have to expend to do something like that. Right. Like um, trying to and push it's not necessarily guaranteed to work. General Grievous, for example, like he's, you know, a powerful cybernetic warrior, like, you know, like maybe you're just, may yeah, maybe, maybe Obi-Wan knew he would be wasting his effort. Yeah, you throw him and he's a spider or crab thing, so he just lands on his legs and crawls back and now you've expended a bunch of effort and he's expended little to none. Yeah. Right. So that's that's kind of how I was like. I like that uh, when uh, when Ezra and Sabine uh, like kind of pass by Morgan Elsbeth, they manage to get up to the top of the of the fortress and they find two death troopers. That was and awesome. I love the death troopers, man. Ever since the death troopers and these are literal like death troopers. Right. But ever since the death troopers were introduced in Rogue One, I think they're just the coolest freaking things. The fact that they always are talking, but you can't hear what they have to say, like it garbles their, you know, their words to the external, but they're talking to each other. I freaking love that, man. It's like, it's become like an iconic star Wars sound to me, like the death trooper radio chatter. Right. Um, they pretty much beat the shit out of Sabine and, and Ezra for a little bit of time, because it turns out that they, uh, these are ones that might have been brought back a while ago. Yeah. Because Sabine <laughs> like blast the face mask, the lower face mask off of one of them. And the, it's like all rotted underneath it. It's like a true zombie. They've clearly right. done some experimentation, right? And right. I think this is where the theories about the other troopers come from. Um, but yeah, the, these 
these fellows might still be following orders, but <laughs> I don't think you need to make them aware of their sacrifice. No, definitely not. <laughs> uh, someone pointed out that actually Ezra kills a couple of death troopers in the finale of Rebels that are on the Chimera. And someone pointed out that I, I wonder if these are the death troopers that were oh, like, these were the two that he killed and Thrawn, like, you know, waste not whatnot, like stuck their bodies in stasis or something until, you know, after this whole event, like maybe, maybe these were the two that were resurrected and maybe that's how he knew that the great mothers could do it. Right. Because if he'd never seen them do it before, he might not have had the confidence to have them try it now when it matters most, maybe he had them experiment a couple of times and so his personal death troopers were were basically zombies, which kind of sucked because yeah, I think they probably smell horrendous. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're just rotting next to you while they're standing there the entire time. But uh, so this is this is pretty good. Um, Ezra stabs one of them in the chest. It basically has no effect. Sabine shoots one in the lower face. That has no effect. Uh, but then we get Sabine's first overt use of the Force. Mm -hmm. uh, very very Luke Skywalker esque use of the Force, right? Uh, she's in a position where she's she's about to die. She's being choked out by the Death Trooper. She calls the blade to her hand from the ground and ignites it through the Death Trooper's skull, which finally incapacitates it. Um, and it uh, it distracts the second Death Trooper long enough for for Bridger to behead it. Right. That's I think this is the only um, like I don't even know how to describe it. Like this is the only dismantling, dismembering that we see. Right. Is this one beheading? And I, I think you're probably right to call out the the ratings limitations for Disney Plus in that regard, because they made sure to show us that these were clearly zombies, not people, right. before right. they did that. Right. Which I thought was pretty clever, because, yeah, they blast off a thing. You can see it's decomposing. And they're like, OK, this one's a zombie. Yeah. We could behead this one. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, they, they wanted to make sure that we understood that that no people were getting their heads cut off in this scene. Yeah, this isn't a Jenga Fett over here. Only, only um, zombies. So the ship is pulling away. Uh, even Ezra's like, I can force jump, but I can't jump that far. And Sabine's like, well, all right, here's what we're going to do. Like, you're going to jump and I'm going to push you. And Ezra, to his credit, is like, damn, girl, you literally just learned how to use the force like one minute ago. <laughs> but he's like, you know what? Fine, let's do it. Like, I'll have faith in you, right? And and uh, his faith is rewarded. She's able to lift him up a little bit with her newfound confidence and give him the boost he needs just barely. She almost doesn't do it. Yeah. She just barely gives him the boost he needs, and he's able to uh, to grab one of the two sentries and just throw him, which I always feel bad for for those guys who have to fall. That's, <laughs> a, that's a long way to fall. That'd be pretty uh, awful. Poor Wilhelm. Yeah. Um... But before Ezra can pull Sabine over, uh, Ahsoka like kind of backs up onto the top of the fortress, still dueling El Elsbeth, she's and been, surrounded by night troopers. Yeah, she's been driven back by the arrival of the night troopers who did come through the door. Um, definitely, I thought this was interesting because this does display a bit of a a partial departure for, I think from what we've seen from some past examples of the night sister, uh, resurrection. And I, I wonder if it's because these night troopers are so fresh that they still retain a lot more of their, their selves than, you know, that we saw some, some pretty ancient night sisters getting brought back. Um, 
in the past, and there there was not a lot. There didn't seem to be a lot left inside their heads, aside from screaming and charging into battle. They're much more the stereotypical zombies than yeah. these night troopers are. Yeah. Um, but, but it was but great. We've right? also seen the scarier. night sisters that were raised in the Clone Wars were raised by a single mother. Right. That's also true. And this is the power of three great mothers. So I kind of thought like, well, you know, maybe because there's more of them, they're able to impart more uh, onto the, the zombies than they normally would be able to if it was just one of them. Right. You know, it's like Captain Planet by their powers combined. Right. Um, you know, we can also we, we know the Night Sister magic can reconstruct broken bodies. We've we've seen that happen in the Clone Wars as well. Um, and so we can also sort of headcanon like, hey, maybe they did get some limbs, some limbs partially severed, and the Night Sisters just pulled them back together because they had th- literally, like you said, three great mothers and only a small contingent of troops to maintain. And so it, you know, was within their powers to do so. Yeah, she does. Uh, so Sabine comes to help, uh, basically leaving Ezra to escape by himself. Uh kind of turning the tables on how it happened last time, right? Instead of Ezra flying away on Thrawn's ship into the unknown, Ezra's flying away on Thrawn's ship back home. And little, Sabine little and Ahsoka yeah, are being left behind. Um, but Sabine comes in and and her appearance manages to kind of, you know, re-energize Ahsoka. And Ahsoka uh, parries a, a blow from Morgan Elsbeth and then slices her across the waist to kill her. Uh, the Great Mothers sense, obviously, that Morgan Elsbeth is dead, and Thrawn replies, basically, well, she did her duty. You know, Thrawn uh, does not have issues sacrificing people when he believes it's for the greater good, although it might be regretful to him. Uh, he he does what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Ezra doing Ezra things uh, kills one of the, you know, one of the night troopers, which it turns out is LS-757. And uh, they very helpfully call out to LS-757 with, with his identification uh, that they're going to send reinforcements to the hangar. And Ezra's like, man, that's perfect. Thank you for that help. Drags him off into a quarter, and we already know that Ezra's putting on the outfit, yeah. putting on the costume. Literally, he's done this, like, how many times? I don't even know how many times he's done this exact same thing. Um, so, I... Great great little great little scene there um and then we have thrawn ordering the fortress to be bombarded which i saw a little twitch from the night sisters i felt like they were just like ooh, don't love that yeah. but i guess it makes sense we're leaving it behind right and all the all the bodies are out of the catacombs so it's like well okay i guess it has to be yeah yeah every, everybody everybody's paying some prices there um, however, uh, Ahsoka and Sabine, um, escape Ahsoka having apparently, um, e- either sensed or simply trusted in the force that Hu Yang would be there to rescue them. And Hu I think Yang, she sensed it. And, I think but yeah, so he's too. got impeccable timing. He does. He does. I think, but I, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that she knew and Sabine was just sort of following her lead. Okay. We're jumping off the building now. Um, so, but it's a it's a great scene, right? I I love the the cinematics here, right? Definitely feels like a movie scene with them jumping off and then the ship zooming up and they're deflecting the bolts as the tower crumbles away underneath the night troopers. Yeah, 
I love uh so they're they're able to fly up into the upper atmosphere. They're pursuing Thrawn. Um Thrawn reaches out to them on a channel and ever gracious in victory. Uh I actually really loved this part right here. He says, you know, I appreciate you be you for being a worthy opponent. What he says, while while victory is mine today, uh, I appreciate you for being a worthy opponent. We've never met face to face, but I know you because I knew your late master. I concluded your strategies would be similar, and I do wonder what you would have become had you stayed with the Jedi. He says, maybe Peridia is a place for a Ronin like you. And then he says, long live the Empire, and jumps to hyperspace. And I thought that this was perfect for the end, right? Like, Thrawn's strategy worked nearly flawlessly, with the exception of a couple of things. I said he 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 expressed frustration twice, right? One was Balin Skull's betrayal, and the other was when the turbo lasers couldn't even stop Sabine and Ezra, who at the time he thought Sabine did not have any capabilities in the Force, right? So both times he's been frustrated has been by the Force, but his strategy was darn near perfect. He managed to escape with a minimal loss of resources comparatively, and he stranded Ahsoka and Sabine in Peridia. And as far as he knows, Ezra is also with them, right? So he believes that his strategy worked perfectly, and I'm in agreement with him. The only reason that his strategy wasn't 100% flawless is because Sabine developed force powers right at the end that he had no way of predicting that that was going to happen. Yeah. As usual, uh, unexpected developments in the force uh, remain a mystery to Thrawn. Um, from you know, from Balin just wandering off to uh, to Sabine uh, finally coming into her power. Um, it it threw some wrenches in his plans. Right, things might have gone very differently <laughs> had everybody just done what they were supposed to do. Um, and yet his plan still worked out despite a number of things going wrong. Right. Um, so I think that, let's see, it doesn't, doesn't quite bring us to the end here, but it is. No, we have three final scenes, which all three are absolutely phenomenal. So the, the episode for me really ends on a massive high note, right? Thrawn, um, celebrating his victory um i felt like there was a little jab in his comments to ahsoka that like you know per perhaps you would have you know like your master gone down a dark path and, and this may be the best place for someone you know for for a ronin as you said like you well him him and balin both throw jabs at her yeah about and you can see you can see the difference right like the jab that balin throws at her about your legacy of one is death and destruction hurts her in the beginning pre-Anakin. This jab is is thrown at her in much the same way and has less of an effect on her because she no longer has that same fear, you know, right. in her. And and part of me thinks that he's thinking maybe she would have ended up being an ally the way Vader was to me had she stayed with the Jedi Order instead of being an opponent the way she is now. Right? But he's, you know, like, oh well, it appears you've lost your way anyway. So maybe this godforsaken galaxy is is the right place for someone like you yeah um he's saying it somewhat insultingly but in the end ahsoka believes that it is actually the case right so well yeah let's let's 
dig into this final scene. Yeah, they return uh, back to the Nodi, and uh, of course the Nodi are overjoyed to see them back because they're pretty much their protectors from everything. Um, Tano sees this is actually Mirai's first appearance in the series, I believe. Yeah. Uh, but Ahsoka Tano sees Mirai in the distance, and that's one hint. Meanwhile, we get uh, we get a brief glimpse of Shin Hadi, who has kind of. You know, she kind of doesn't really know where to go. Like, Ahsoka said that she would help her, but she doesn't trust Ahsoka. Balin's abandoned her. Thrawn has abandoned her. So she kind of goes back to the only option she has left, which is she she heads back to the bandits, who obviously lost their leader in the assault on the Nodi. Uh, and she ignites their lightsaber, drawing their attention, and, and it's kind of going to be like, <laughs> I got like a weird Anakin and the Tuscans vibe, except for she's going to live with them instead of going to slaughter them. But like, you know, she's going to be there. And then we get a fantastic scene with Balin's skull. Where oh, he's man. standing kind of what looks like it's on a cliff, looking at something far in the distance, which looks like, I don't know, like a volcano with like a light coming out of it. I, I've, I've uh, temporarily dubbed it Mount Doom. Yeah. It looks like that, but it, it zooms back and we realize that he's standing on the arm of the father, which is pointing out into the distance and the son is next to him. And then the daughter is next to him, but the daughter is headless. Yeah. Right. So there's this fantastic throwback to the Mortis gods and uh, and both the Mortis arc in season three of Clone Wars and also the World Between Worlds arc in Rebels. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. It, it has always been a tragedy that Ray Stevenson passed away in such an untimely manner. Um, but it is also a tragedy for this story because like his conclusion, his story was one of the ones I was most excited to see. Yeah. And I feel like the only option they're going to have is to to recast his character, which is going to be it's, that's going to be so difficult. Yeah. Like, how do you step into those shoes? I truly, truly can't imagine. Um, you know, perhaps they'll be able to come up with some clever Star Wars uh, logic, justify it. But we'll uh, ho- hopefully we'll see in the not too distant future um but yeah man this this was a such an exciting scene as a longtime fan <laughs> and, and reading like people's complaining reviews i could only i could only think to myself like boy if you thought the night sister magic was weird like just wait like it's they're not gonna get less weird if they go that direction oh no definitely not <laughs> um so back in back in the main galaxy uh thrawn and enoch and the great mothers kind of watch from the balcony of the Eye of Sion as it approaches uh, Dathomir. This is the first live-action appearance of Dathomir, which is super cool. Uh, and they kind of show the Star Destroyer's hangar, and there's you know, thousands of coffins, or whatever you want to call them, th- thousands of boxes. Yeah. I think we could probably What's call in the them box? coffins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then elsewhere, uh, one of the Imperial shuttles actually lands in the hangar of Home 1. And all of, you know, our favorite, you know, rebels, now New Republic leaders are there. Hera, Chopper, uh, First Officer Vic Hawkins, uh, who has been given a sweet name as a character despite only having four lines. It's a great name. Yeah. Uh, They converge on the shuttle and a a night trooper walks down. And I think everybody who watched the cartoons knew exactly what this was going to be. And I saw some criticism on it. Like, this is so stupid. Why would you do this? They might accidentally shoot him. And I was like, dude, because Ezra has a flair for the dramatic. Yeah. How have you watched Rebels and not learned that Ezra will always do the thing that has the most flair? 100% of the time. 
If he can do two things and one of them is way more dangerous but looks flashier and cooler, he's going to do that one thing. Yeah. He has done it for four seasons of that show. So he walks down still dressed as a night trooper and removes the helmet. And there's like the very beautiful just like Hera, I'm home. Right? I I just, I got to credit where it's due. Chopper knew who it was the whole time. Oh, yeah. Chopper's Chopper's like a dog. He can smell it. Immediately was just like, oh. It's Ezra. While everybody else is still still freaking out. It was uh it was it was good. And like, you know, people were like, oh, I wish that they'd had a more emotional reunion. And I was like, Well, the problem is is that both Ezra and Hera know what this means. Which is that Ezra's back, but Sabine and Ahsoka aren't. Right? And you can see that a little bit in Hera's eyes where she sees Ezra. And Ezra's like, you know, Ezra's like her son, right? This is like literally, you know, it's like she obviously loves Jason. Jason is Kanan's kid, right? But Ezra's like an adopted son to her. And she's seeing him again for the first time in 10 years. But Sabine's like an adopted daughter to her and Sabine's not there. And so she knows what this means. I, I think I think she also knows, you know, because of his apparel that this this what what could be a joyful reunion actually uh foreshadows war and and that she was right in the worst possible way um and so i think it's pretty hard for her to get too excited in this moment like super happy Ezra's back but also have to assume that Thrawn also is back based on the fact that Ezra is wearing some pretty janky looking stormtrooper armor yeah. And uh, so then we get we come back to the final scene and I absolutely love this final scene. Right. And uh, Sabine, you know, Ahsoka is kind of standing outside of the Nodi camp and Sabine comes up to her and is like, all right, we're almost packed. We can get on the move. And Tano kind of senses that she's upset and Sabine's rightfully upset. Right. Like Thrawn escaped. And Ahsoka says, you know what? We managed to send Ezra home. And Ezra is where he needs to be. And so are we. It's time to move on. Right? Like we did what needed to be done. We're in the right place. It might not feel like it to you, but you have to trust in the force. We are in the place we need to be. And Sabine kind of senses something out in the, you know, out in the night sky. And she doesn't really say what it is. But Ahsoka stares out at it. And as we zoom out, we get the force ghost of Anakin Skywalker watching over them. Yeah. And I just thought it was so beautiful and so perfect. I absolutely freaking love the ending. This final scene, you know, Ezra's where he needs to be. We are where we need to be. It's time to move on. And then Anakin's force ghost standing there watching over them. And I was like, it's fucking perfect. Dude, it's perfect. It's phenomenal. I, I I loved it. And it bothered me so much that people were like, oh, it's just fan service. I was like, it's not fan service. Man, it's not. It's not. It's not fan service at all. This is exactly it serves the story. They didn't just have Anakin there to have Anakin there. Anakin actually serves a purpose in the story. He does a thing, right? He's there to prove the point that they are where they need to be, that it's correct, that that she has stepped into his role and he's still there to watch out for her. The same way Obi-Wan was there to watch out for Luke. Right. Right. 
it's the exact same thing. It made me it made me so happy to see it. And it made me so frustrated when people said it was just fan service because it wasn't just fan service. It was there for a reason. Yeah, I mean, Obi-Wan's Force Ghost makes several appearances <laughs> in the original trilogy to give advice to counsel um, and, and just to sort of watch over Luke and... Yeah, like, of course, you know, we, we, you know, Anakin has, has managed to put himself into the same state to achieve that, you know, that permanence in the force. So why would he not look at, look out for his former apprentice, right? Mm -hmm. Makes perfect sense. Probably spent several, uh, several years, uh, as a force ghost sort of achieving the balance that he never did in life, but. But now that he's now that he's there, he's he's here to help Ahsoka do the same thing, and it's it's beautiful. Um, have to say, this episode ends on a massive high note, which honestly makes it harder for me to remember the flaws earlier in the episode. Well, the flaws that I have with this episode pale in comparison to what the episode does well, like absolutely pale in comparison. Like, yeah, man, I wish the Tie Fighters were more effective. <laughs> Like, I, I wish that one of the Howlers had gotten hit during the bombardment to add a little bit of tension to it, right? right? Okay, but neither one of those things actually changes the story, right? Like you said, the story still goes the exact same way, and, and the story is what impressed me so much about this final episode. And the excitement that I have to learn where the story goes is part of the reason why I'm so high on this episode. Like, I am so excited to see what comes next. I haven't felt that way since like the end of Mandalorian season one, right? Where I was like, I legitimately cannot wait for them to, for them to continue this storyline, you know? And that's how I know deep in my heart that like whatever the criticisms are, I know that this wasn't a bad series because it has me excited to learn what comes next. Right. Right. So like I am going to go deeply against the grain here. I think that this is a 10, despite the flaws that, despite the flaws that it had, which we called out, right? I think that this story is absolutely a 10 because it had the emotional weight that I was looking for. It tells a great story, start to finish. It has the emotional weight that I was looking for in terms of Ahsoka learning what it is that she needs to be, reuniting with Sabine, the final scenes at the end of the episode with Anakin standing there, with Ezra's reunion with Hera, with... Balin standing on the statue of the father. Like I, I, it had the emotional weight I wanted. It told a great story. It left a bunch of doors open, the doors that I wanted to be left open that I did not want closed in such a short time frame. It left them open. The only criticisms I have with the episode, we talked about it earlier. And one of them is like not a criticism of the show. It's a criticism of Disney not telling us when we can expect a conclusion to this. I can't fault the show for that. That's not the show's fault. What do you want the show to say? Like the story will be continued in Ahsoka season two, right? Like, yeah, it'd be nice if the show said that. I'm not going to take points off of the show for not doing that. And the other two criticisms were mostly the effectiveness of, of Thrawn's troopers themselves and how like kind of useless they seem to be. And it's like, those can be explained away both by headcanon and also neither one of them actually affects the story. So I give it a 10. I think that it's going to take years for people to look back on this episode and maybe see how good it truly is but it would be like me rating the wrong jedi arc like an eight because it's a cliffhanger 
right? And like, I just can't do that. The 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 story and the episode itself is damn near flawless to me. So I'm going to disagree with you here. Um, I feel like the... I feel like there's a bit of weakness in the way that the story gets from where it starts to where it's going. And I think that that hurts the overall delivery. Um, and while I enjoy the heck out of this episode, um, all three times I've watched it so far, I, I can't in good conscience, give it a rating that high. Um, for me, I'm going to give this an 8.5. I think that overall the criticisms are fairly mild. Some of them have, you know, some, some legitimate reasons as to why they probably happened that way in terms of like, you know, like, like ratings, like we talked about, there's only so much they can do. Um, that said, you know, I don't like to give excuses to, um, to, to people. If, if they can't find a way to work around a limitation, then, you know, I sort of view that as well. That's not my problem as the viewer, that you had a limitation and you couldn't figure out a way around it or, or a way to make the story deliver the feeling that it, it seems like was called for despite that limitation. Um, and, you know, so for that reason, I, I have to, you know, sort of rate it down. Um, that said, I still think it was a phenomenal episode. Uh, and I think it... As, as much as sort of along the way, there were some, some pieces that kind of took me out of the action and took me out of the story a little bit, I felt like it closed out really, really well, really effectively. And it was a ton of fun to watch, which ultimately is, you know, the, the main bar that Star Wars needs to clear. I had a great time watching it. Um, you know, my, my daughter had a great time watching it. And... If those two things are true, it's pretty hard for me to say that an episode was bad in any way, shape, or form. And this one was 100% the opposite of bad. It was it was very good. So there we have it. I think that yeah. leaves it at, a what, like a nine and a quarter? Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, it, it is it is what it is. It definitely was not a flawless episode. We have had flawless episodes before, which is why I've always said that we need like an 11 rating, <laughs> which is like, it's a 10, but it's also actually flawless. Right, which we've which we've had a handful of times. This is a ten because it hits my bar of like an emotional weight to a great story, and how much did I enjoy it while I was watching it? And I just absolutely loved it. This this you know this in episode five might have been my favorite episodes of the Ahsoka series. Um, I regret that the series wasn't able to. So this is actually funny. I've talked to a bunch of people who like aren't huge Star Wars fans who've watched it. And like the people who just watch stuff to like watch it and don't actually care a ton about the depth. Those people actually liked Ahsoka a bunch, even though they didn't know any of the backstory at all, mm -hmm. because like they just watch it to watch it. Right. And they understand that there's a bunch of stuff that they might not understand and they don't really care that much. Those people actually enjoyed it. The people who watch stuff and want to understand more but who haven't watched the animated series those people i think liked it the least yeah i can right? see that however i have successfully seen a bunch of people online 
talking about, oh, well, I'm watching the Clone Wars now because I watched Ahsoka and I wanted to understand it better. So I'm watching the Clone Wars and I'm watching Rebels. So I think it has served the purpose, at least one of Filoni's purposes, which is to kind of push people back into those shows because there's a wealth of great Star Wars in those shows. So I think that is go. I think as time progresses, the show is going to be looked upon more favorably as people kind of fill in the gaps of their knowledge and then watch it again a second time, right? And I also think that when we get the conclusion of the story, it's going to reflect more favorably upon this series as kind of a setup for that story, right? Um, we know that Filoni has had Ahsoka's entire story in his head for years and years and years. Right. And that gives me confidence in the future of this more than anything else is that Filoni has known Ahsoka's beginning, middle, and end for a decade or more. And now, because he already has that story in place, it's just up to him to tell it, right? It's not like with the sequels where they didn't know where the story was going and they were coming up with it on the fly. He knows where the story is going. He's always known where the story is going. Now it's just getting there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about all that. I'm really excited to hear any news that we get out of Disney about uh, about the continuation to, you know, the, the Mandoverse or whatever you want to call it. This era... The New Republic era pre-sequels. I'm really excited to, to see where it goes. I know that the writer strike and the actor strike has kind of thrown a wrench into a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty concerned that that's going to significantly delay uh, future Star Wars content. Um, but I guess we'll just have to see. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's unfortunately it's going to delay a lot of stuff. Um, but those those issues have to get worked out, and um, you know. Uh, so it is what it is, but I, uh, yeah, I will, I will be eagerly waiting for the next installment for sure. All right. Well, I think that's it. I guess we'll, uh, we'll return next week and we'll probably shoot. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's time to revisit the clone wars. Maybe it's time to revisit something else. Maybe we'll throw up a poll and we'll, and we'll try to think about it. But, uh, it's it's kind of weird not having new Star Wars to talk about. I know for a little it bit hasn't hasn't happened in a while. You know we've been pretty we've been pretty fortunate. We've pretty much always had something to look forward to on the horizon. But that's okay. There's still a ton of great uh, Star Wars stuff that we can go and take a look at. Who knows? One of these days, maybe we'll even take a look at that uh, that Jindy Tartovsky animated series. Yeah, <laughs> it could happen. All right, until next time, may the Force be with you. And also with you.